Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the New Testament book of 2 Timothy. The book of 2 Timothy and chapter number 3. The book of 2 Timothy chapter number 3. We're going to begin a brand new series on Wednesday, but as we begin this brand new year, we thought we would give some encouraging messages in preparation that we're expecting this upcoming year to be the greatest year so far. And if we're going to have the greatest year so far, we know that it has to begin with God. It has to end with God. God must be the goal, that it's all about the Lord. He's the one that makes it special. He's the one that gives power. He's the one that gives the blessings. With this, we find a warning inside of the book of 2 Timothy and chapter number 3. The book of 2 Timothy, chapter number 3, and if you don't mind noticing with me, starting at verse number 1. 2 Timothy, chapter 3, and verse number 1, the Bible says this, This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, will you mark a powerful phrase inside of the book of 2 Timothy in chapter number 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, and notice with me in verse number 5, where it says, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. And if you don't mind, maybe we'll just shorten and summarize the title to this, a powerless form. A powerless form. And with the Lord's help, we want to hit this passage here and see what the Bible has to say in concerns to this powerless form. Let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come to you, we're just asking that you would just give us grace, and that you would give us mercy, that you would help us to have an understanding of this, that you would help us to be able to perceive, discern these things and apply them, that we could seek for the power that you promised and said was available to us. Lord, help us to understand this in a very special way. Draw your people close to you even now. Help these good folks that they have as much as responsibility to be spirit-filled listeners as I do to be a spirit-filled preacher. The best I know how I surrender myself to you now. 
I give you my thoughts, my ambitions, my goals, what I want to get accomplished. And I surrender them to you that you can get your own work accomplished through your precious word. We could trust you. In your name we pray. Amen. Notice if you don't mind in 1st, 2nd Timothy in chapter number 3, the Bible speaks about that know this also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Now, if you look around, without a doubt, people talk about the last days. We're in the last days. We're in the last days. We're in the last days. Without a doubt, we're in the last days. Notice the description of these last days and that we could agree definitely that we're in the last days. Know this also that in the last days, perilous times shall come. Notice in the last days, what are the description? For men shall be lovers of their own selves. And without a doubt, that is a true statement. Men love them own selves. That they're number one on their list. They love themselves. It says that men, they're going to be covetous. The idea of covetous is desiring something that's not God's will for you to have. And we live in a very covetous society that people desire things that's not God's will for them to have. Desiring things that they don't have right now. Desiring things they can't afford. Desiring things that someone else has that they don't. They're covetous. They are boasters. They like to brag on themselves. How great I am. How wonderful I am. Look at what I do. Look at what I can do. Look at what I doing right now. They're boasters. They're proud. They're blasphemers. They blaspheme God. They deny God in his power. They're disobedient to parents. Notice this is a thing right here that in the last days, one of the characteristics is that kids won't obey their parents. Do you know that should never be said? Kids should obey their parents. By the way, it's not the kid's fault. It's the parent's fault. We live in a time, notice if you don't mind what it says after this. It says, uh, disobedient to parents, unthankful. Amen. We live in an unthankful society. Amen. Unthankful. Unholy. That means they're not close to God. They don't reflect God in his glory. They're not separated to God. Unholy. Without natural affection. We've come to the place where people don't have natural affection. For example, uh, a natural affection that a mother has to their children. That a dad has to their children. We don't have this natural affection, this thing where parents are so selfish that they won't even take care of their kids correctly because it's too much work. I can't raise my kids because I don't have the time to do it. I don't want to do it. It's a burden to do it without natural affection. Truce bakers. We don't have people that keep their word anymore. We get to the place where people won't keep their word. Remember, there used to be a time where people could make a handshake deal and it was set in stone. But now it's triplicate with lawyers being involved in all the legalese and they still won't keep it. We're truce breakers. False accusers. It's called gossiping. That's another word for Facebook. People give false accusations all the time. Unsubstantiated, unprovable, unresearchable. And that's Facebook. We do that all the time in just normal gossip with coworkers. Without knowing the full story, we gossip. That's the society we live in. Incontinent fierce, despisers of those that are good. We have people that hate people that want to do what's right. Traitors, 
heady. Again, this carries the idea of pride. High-minded, that carries the idea of amount of pride that I'm better than everyone else. Let me teach everyone. Look how great I am. Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Now, when we say that we live in the last days and this is the characteristic of the last days, we can all shake our heads and say, yeah, absolutely. We turn on our news. We look at our neighbors and other stuff. But may I now deflate your bubble? Society has always been this way. It's always been this way. Without a doubt. When it talks about the last days, if we were going to talk about the last days, the last days actually started with Christ and his disciples. Ever since Christ rose from the grave and went to heaven, that began the last days. We are living in the last of the last days. The very last end, the tail end of the last days. And we know that this characteristic, you say, well, if society's always been this way, and we're living in the last of the last days, what makes this list different if society's always been this way? Verse number five makes it different. It says, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. You know what makes this last, this this list different because in the last last days it's not society that this list is covering this last of last days this is what the church is characteristics are like the people who call themselves believers this is what their characteristics is like we're living in a time where we have a form of godliness oh i'm a christian but we deny the power thereof. And because of that, this is the characteristics of Christians. Let's look at this list again. Know this so that last days perilous times shall come. That in people who call themselves to be Christians, men should be lovers of their own selves. Inside of a normal church, you are full of people that love themselves. It's all about them. How does it make me feel? How does it make me go? We live in a very feely society. We don't care about truth. It's how does it make me feel? I don't feel like going to church. I don't feel like reading my Bible. I love myself. Me, I'm the number one. They shall be covetous. Church people are covetous. Desiring something that's not God's will to have. They're boasters. We are at the time where Christians brag about themselves all the time. Look at how great I am. Look at how spiritual I am. Look at what I've done for the Lord. Look at how right I am. They're boasters. They're proud. God resists the proud, by the way. But we've got people who are proud. Look at how right I am. Look at how great I am. Proud is one of the characteristics of a church in the last of the last days. Blasphemers. They blaspheme God and his power. They deny his power. This disobedient to parents. Can you imagine living in a time now where Christians, people call themselves Christians, won't allow their parents, won't teach their kids to obey? That is a horrible characteristics. Christians should have the best homes because we should be an example of Christ in the church, Ephesians chapter 5. And when we are not lined up, we are in an example of the perilous times. When parents don't teach their kids to be obedient to their parents. We live in an unthankful society. Church people are so unthankful. They don't appreciate what God has done for them. They are unholy. Christians are unholy. They are filthy with all of the muck of the world. 
that they would rather go watch a three-hour movie in a movie theater that's not appropriate than show up to church. If they had the choice, they would they'd rather go watch NASCAR football than be separated unto God. Without natural affection. We have to teach people how to love their kids. We have to teach people to love their wives. To teach them to love their husbands. Without natural affection. Truce breakers. You know banks hate loaning money to churches more than any other group. Because churches have a hard time paying the bank back. And now the bank looks bad because they have to close down a church. Because the church people wouldn't keep their word truce breakers. They can't keep their word. A horrible testimony that they have. False accusers. Church people are big gossips too. Facebook hasn't helped. They love to accuse people, whether it's politicians or something, of wrongdoing without researching or looking at things. They're incontinent, fierce, despise of those that are good. It's amazing that church people hate people who are trying to do what's right. Oh, you want to be Mr. Holy. No, I'm just trying to live right. Yeah, you're making the rest of us look bad. I'm trying to do what's right. Traitors. That means they'll betray the Lord. You give them a good excuse, they'll betray the Lord. Heady. That's full of pride. High-minded. I know more than you and let me show you that I know more than you. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Isn't that a horrible statement for church people? That they love themselves more than they love God. Christians should be known for loving God more than everyone else. They should be saying that those church people over there, they really love the Lord. But this is a description of church people today. And the Bible gives a summary that they have a form of godliness but they deny the power thereof. When it says that we're dealing with power here, it is dealing with the power, a definite article, the power. This is the power that God and God alone has. What happens is that church people have set up a type of religion where we look good, we smell good, we we do good things, but we lack the power of God. What is this? It's what God and God alone can do. Man can get some things accomplished by force of will. Man can get some things accomplished because he tries. But we don't want what man can get done. We want what God and God alone can get done. And in order for that to be done, the Bible gives us a description here and explains here about this powerless form with the idea that we should desire God's power and be warned about these dangers. If you don't mind, let's take this passage here and use verse number five as an outline. And let's see here, what about this powerless form? First of all, let's see the danger of this powerless form. The danger of this powerless form. It is 
all about the power of the Lord that we need in God's in the ministry. It's his house. It should be what he gets accomplished. He's the only one that can save. It should be what man and man alone or God and God alone could do, not what man can do. We should desire what God could get accomplished. But the danger is, is that we have a powerless form, a form that does not have what God's power has for us. There are churches and homes that don't have this power, that don't have any power to convict. When people hear about Christians today, they laugh at Christians. There's no power, no influence, nothing. The world laughs. They think it's a joke. When's the last time God used a Christian in amazing ways where people stopped and listened and said, there's something to this. Just because people call themselves a Christian doesn't mean they have a Christian home. Just because people said that they're Christian doesn't mean that God's in there in the church with them. What do those who have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof do? Well, notice what happens. Verse 6. For of this sort, what sort? The for, sort of people that have, have a powerless form. For of this sort, they are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sin, led away with diverse lust. Here it says they creep into houses and they lead captive silly women. They go and tell people that they're all right. So they go to some lady's house and they'll say, listen, God just loves you just the way that you are. God is love. By the way, that is a true statement. But their application is horrible. God doesn't want you to change. He just loves you the way that you are. The Bible gives this expression in the book of Jeremiah chapter 5 and verse chapter 8. He repeats it. He says, they have helped the hurt of my daughter slightly by saying peace, peace, when there is no peace. It goes on in both of those chapters. It says, were they ashamed when they committed abomination? Nay, they were not at all ashamed. Neither could they blush. You know what happens is that the church and the church people without this powerless form have helped the hurt of God's people slightly. Slightly. By saying peace, peace when there is no peace. What does that mean? Saying it's all right. God loves you. He loves you just the way that you are. You don't have to change. You just keep just being you and he loves you. Which again, there's a truth in that. But God doesn't want you just to stay as you are. He wants to take you from where you are and help you to move forward, to be closer to him, to draw you closer to him. That's what God's desire is. But when we tell people and pat them on the head, it's all right. When it's not all right, we're only helping them slightly, but we're causing more damage than ever. This is what we have as a Christianity where people have been patted on the head and said, you're fine. You're fine and you're not fine. We need to change. God wants us to change. He wants us to point out where we're wrong and draw us closer. He wants to show our flaws and us make a decision. We live in a society now where they have the type of preaching where you don't make a decision. We give people religious information and they know facts and figures and they know stories and they know how to have smiles on good days and pick themselves up by the bootstraps, but they know nothing of the person of Jesus Christ. They have no intimate knowledge of who God is. And because of that, they have no power. And their lives aren't changed. 
We should not be a type of church where people come in and leave the same way. We should be a type of people where people are all welcome, but God does something and changes them on the way out the door. But we live in a society where churches are full of a powerless form. And people aren't changed. They're not drawn closer to the Lord. And it's the church's fault. The people of the church, they go into houses, the silly women pat him on the head. You're fine. God just loves you as you are. You live however you want. I personally know of a woman who's been divorced three times and was living in sin and hated God. But she shows up into a type of church where they sing great music and it makes her cry and they get their lighters out. And she walks out the door and said, I had a great experience but our life is not get closer to the Lord. They taught her, you don't have to read your Bible. It's fine. Just as long as you praise God, you're good. It's dangerous. She felt better. She likes going to that church because it makes her feel better. But denies the power thereof. There's no power. There's no life change. There's no one getting closer to the Lord. They're staying just as far as they've always been. They've helped the hurt of my daughter slightly by saying peace, peace, when there is no peace. They're having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. You know what God's power does? It changes lives. You cannot have an encounter with a holy, righteous God and not come away with it without having changes. Notice as the Bible goes on. Why is this powerless form so dangerous? Notice in verse 7. They are ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. They're ever learning. They're learning more and more about things that don't get them any closer to God. They're ever learning, but they're not obeying the truth. Notice this. They're ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of God. How does someone come to the knowledge of God? By obeying. You could sit in a church like this. And not obey. And you miss the power to change lives. You miss the power for God to change your life. They're ever learning. I like to show up. I like to listen to the great messages. But what are you doing with it? Nothing. I just like to hear the messages. Ever learning. Ever learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Never come to a better understanding of who God is. Never get closer to him. Never to have a more intimate understanding of who he is. They're learning more and more about facts and facts. Why? They don't obey. That's what this powerless form is all about. Is they're not obeying what God has given them to. And if they would just obey, their entire life would change. Their entire home would change. Having a form of godliness. But denying the power thereof. That's why the most important thing that happens in this church. Is an old fashioned altar. Giving people every opportunity to make a decision to follow after God. Why? So that way God could change them. That is the power of God when they respond to who God is. And God changes them and they get closer and closer. And God is able to do more and more and more in their life. But they have a powerless form. A form of godliness but denying the power thereof. 
We see the dangers of this, the dangers of this powerless form. Let me show you something else. The denial of the power, the denial of the power. Again, we're using verse five as our outline. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. And the Bible here gives an example of two people who were historical biblical examples of people who denied the power of God. Notice with me verse 8. Now as Janus and Jamborees withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. The Bible here is speaking about Janus and Jamborees. These were two previously unnamed sorcerers who worked with or for Pharaoh who withstood, who stood against Moses. Let's go back and see this historical account. We're coming back to 2 Timothy in a bit, but look with me if you don't mind in the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus in chapter number seven. Remember the book of Exodus, the second book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus at the very beginning. Look for yourself. Look at this historical account of what the Bible is speaking about and making reference to. So to catch you up, that God had his people Israel living inside of Egypt for 400 years. He sent a deliverer by the name of Moses. Now, he had to kind of kick Moses a little bit. Moses was in the backside of the desert, retired. He was 80 years old when God came to speak to him and said, I got something for you to do. By the way, may I give you encouragement that doesn't matter how old you are, that God still has a plan for you and there's work for you to do inside of God's work. So at 80 years old, God calls Moses, had a burning bush. Most of us remember that story, have heard that story. And God calls Moses and said, I want you to go and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And Moses says, well, wait a second. If I go up to Pharaoh and say, let my people go, he's going to ask who sent me. Who are you? And God had to tell Moses who God was, that I am that I am. I am the I am. And then Moses said, well, listen, I need some proof. I need some evidence. They're not going to listen to me just because I said so. And Moses says, what's in your hand? Or God said, Moses, what's in your hand? He says, a staff. Now, he'd already been telling to God that he said, I given excuses after another, one after another. God, I, I, got, I, I can't, I can't, I can't, can't go talk to uh, Pharaoh because uh, I don't speak good. And I, I'm just going to stutter the whole time. And God says, go anyways. I'm going to give, I'm going to go give Aaron to speak for you. By the way, whenever you read the account, Aaron never spoke. It was always Moses, but Moses just used an excuse. I, I, I can't speak. Well, he starts giving another thing. I, they're not going to listen to me. He says, uh, what's in my hand? A staff? Well, throw the staff down. Threw the staff down and it turned to a snake. God said, pick it up. And he says, uh, God, uh, I had problems speaking. Now I have a problem hearing. What? <laughs> pick it up. <laughs> right? You'd have a hard time hearing at that moment too. <laughs> He picked it back up, turned to his staff, and he says, I want you to go to Pharaoh. I want you to go before them, and I want you to cast it down to kind of show the power of God. Okay. So finally, we get to Exodus chapter 7, and we can see as Moses is standing before Pharaoh. Notice with me in verse number 10. And Moses and Aaron, Exodus chapter 7, verse 10, and Moses and Aaron went in unto Pharaoh, and they did 
as the Lord had commanded. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh called the wise men and the sorcerers. Now the magicians of Egypt, they also did in like manner with their enchantments. For they cast down every man his rod, and they became serpents, but Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods." And he hardened Pharaoh's heart and he hearkened not to them as the Lord said. So what happened is that we have two sorcerers that was previously unnamed. In the New Testament, we get their names, Janus and Jamborees. So what happens is that Aaron takes his staff and throws it into a snake. And Pharaoh says, all right, guys, can you do that? And they said, oh, yeah, we could do that. And they throw their staffs down and they turn into a snake. You say, well, what happened here? One of the things you have to understand is that the magicians had a form of godliness, but they denied God's power. They're trying to say that God doesn't have power. Our power matches him. Do you know that today we have 800 non-conventional religions practiced in America? 800 non-conventional. We have conventional uh, religions like Christianity and Uh, Judaism, even Islam is considered a conventional. 800 non-conventional religions practice in America. People today practice religion more than any other time in our country. Yet 80% of the people deny that Jesus is the only way to heaven. We live in a very religious society, but we live in a society that doesn't know the power of God, that doesn't know what revival is. And so you could see Satan here as he's working with these people, Janice and Jamborees, that they are trying to deny God's power. That God's power is not something special. Here, we're going to give something just like it to show that God's not special. Notice as it goes on, look with me in Exodus 7, chapter 7 and verse number 19. Exodus chapter 7 and verse 19. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, unto Aaron, take thy rod and stretch out thy hand upon the waters of Egypt and upon their streams and upon their rivers and upon their ponds and upon the pools of the water that they may become blood and that there may be blood throughout the land, all the land of Egypt, both of the vessels of wood and the vessels of stone. And Moses and Aaron did so as the Lord commanded and he lifted up his rod and smote the waters that were in the river in the sight of Pharaoh and the sight of his servants and all the waters that were in the river were turned into blood. And the fish that were in the river died. And the river stank. And all the Egyptians could not drink of the water of the river. And there was blood throughout all of the land of Egypt. So here, God says, let my people go. Pharaoh said, nope. So in order to demonstrate God's power, they put the the staff over the water, and all of the water in Egypt turned to blood. May I put a little asterisk here? It didn't mean that it turned red because of algae, as some textbooks try to say. It turned to blood. And it wasn't the idea that if anything touched the water that it turned into blood, that even the vessels, the stuff they had in the refrigerator, the stuff they sitting on the shelf, that turned into blood as well. It was a sight. Now, fish have to breathe through water. They don't breathe through blood well. And so they died. And so they stunk up the place. Blood, by the way, doesn't have a good smell. It very coppery smell. And you let it sit for a while. It doesn't smell any better. 
And it all stank and it was horrible. And it was there. And God was demonstrating he had power over the life-giving river of the Nile. Remember, the Nile is considered the life of Egypt. That it's in the middle of the Sahara Desert. The only reason why they're able to grow crops is because of the overflowing of the Nile River. And if the Nile River dies, Egypt dies. And God is saying, I've got power. And so he killed everything. You would expect that people would say, oh, look at God's power. But remember, they deny God's power. So notice what the two Egyptians do, Janus and Jamborees, verse number 22. And the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened, neither did he hearken. So notice verse 22. It said they did so with their enchantments. What did they do? They turned water into blood too. Now, may I say, what is the problem for the Egyptians? The water's turned to blood. You know what the solution should have been? To turn the water, <laughs> turn the blood back into water. They made the problem worse. They did not help. They weren't helping the people. It was all for the purpose of denying the power of God. That they put on this show and they made it worse. They were not helping their people. They just were saying, don't obey God. God's power is not big enough. Notice we learned something here. Satan has an imitating power. He imitates. Oftentimes when we're placed in God's will, what Satan will do is he will put a false will of God. He will imitate. He will put uh, something that looks similar, but try to draw people away. That's exactly what is happening here with these two magicians, these two sorcerers. They're imitating God's power. They're not helping. But notice it's limited. So it goes on. Notice with me in chapter 8. And the Lord spake unto Moses, say, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, Thus saith the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. And if thou refuse to let them go, I will smite thy borders with frogs. And the river shall bring forth the frogs abundantly, and that shall go forth into thy house, and thy bedchamber, and upon thy bed, into thy house, and the servants, and thy people, into thine ovens, and into thy kneading trout. And the frogs shall come up both upon thee, and upon thy people, and upon all thy servants. And so, verse 5, they do that, and stretch his hand out, and the frogs came, and verse six. So in the Egyptian world, they worship more gods than any other society, except for maybe the Hindus. They had gods for everything. And the frogs were rep represented by the god Het. And according to Egyptian society and mythology, people could not kill a frog. You were insulting the, uh, the, the frog god. And you didn't want to insult the frog god because he was related to the Nile and the Nile wouldn't give us food. So for these people, on a normal day-to-day -day basis, you wouldn't kill a frog. You wouldn't touch a frog. You wouldn't torture a frog. You don't mess with frogs. However, when these frogs started to jump out of the Nile River, they jumped everywhere. That you went to go sleep that night, there was frogs all in your bed. Woohoo! Try to sleep with frogs jumping around. That when you tried to bake, uh, make bread, you would start kneading the thing and the frogs would jump into the bowl. You would open up the ovens to bake something and the frogs would jump into there. Frogs are everywhere. Everywhere you step, you hear a crunch, crunch, squish, squish, splat, splat. Frogs are, you try to take a bath and the frogs are jumping in the bath with you. They're everywhere and they couldn't help but to kill the frogs. This is a big torturous thing. So the magicians come up. Now again, they have an imitating power. They're not helping. They're just trying to deny God's power. What do they do? Notice with me, verse seven. 
uh, chapter 8, verse 7. And the magicians did so with their enchantments and brought up the frogs upon the land of Egypt. So again, they're not helping. They're hurting. They're denying God's power, but they're putting more frogs in the land. Is that solving the thing? No, all they're doing is trying to deny God's power, trying to get people, well, God's power is not that important. It's not that big. Look at what we can do. Someone else can get God's power done. Now, at the end of this specific plague is one of my favorite just thinking things. Moses goes up to Pharaoh and says, hey, Pharaoh, when do you want the frogs gone? If you're willing to obey, we're willing to do this. We'll just really get rid, when do you want to get rid of the frogs? And Pharaoh says, tomorrow. One more night with the stinking frogs, one more night in sin. I had a terrible time with them last night and I just wanted to do it again. He could have got rid of the frogs right then and there. But no, I want one more night. I'll decide tomorrow. You know, people do this all the time. They refuse to obey God right now. And it's just as silly. When do you want God's blessing? Tomorrow. When, do you want to, when are you going to read God's word? Tomorrow. I don't want God's blessing right now. I'll wait till tomorrow. I'll wait till next week. When are you going to start obeying? Well, I'll do it later. You don't want God's blessing right now? Nah, I, I can wait. They're denying the power thereof. The idea is that you need to make a decision now to have God's power to change your life. And even Pharaoh says, tomorrow, tomorrow, later. I don't want to obey God right now. Maybe some other time. I'd rather have God's curse than God's blessing. One more night with the stinking frogs. It will always be a puzzle to me. Why would he say tomorrow? The same reason why so many other people said, I'll read my Bible later. I'm not going to do it today. I don't want God's blessing now. I want God's frogs right now. One more night with the stinking frogs. So they go up. Notice in chapter 8, verse 16. And the Lord said to Moses, Say unto Aaron, Stretch out thy rod and smite the dust of the land that it may become lice. And so they do. God strike, uh, they strike the dust. Lice comes out. Now this is a different type of miracle because it is a creation miracle. Life came out of nothing. It came from dust. It wasn't the idea that they hit the dust and all of a sudden the life started coming out. God did a creative work. Now let's see what the magicians do. Verse number 18. And the magicians did so with their enchantments to bring forth lice. But notice this. But they could not. You see, Satan is a good imitator, but he is not God. He cannot produce life. He is limited in his power. That's all he could do is imitate. But now we came to the place where the magicians were limited. They could not imitate God's power. Now it's clear that God has real power and the magicians do not. Again, Janice and Jamboree's made scripture as a great highlight of two people that were a great example of denying the power of God. Having a form of godliness, they look like they had power, but they denied the power, God's power thereof. The more religious things get in our country, it doesn't help our country at all. We're still in as bad shape as ever before. People become more and more religious, more and more superstitious, but we're still becoming worse and worse in our morals, and we don't have the power of God anywhere. As we turn back to 2 Timothy chapter number 3 and seeing this powerless form, we saw that there's a danger to this powerless form. 
We also understand that there were people that denied the power thereof. That Janus and Jamborees of the Old Testament is a great example. That they tried to imitate God's power. All for the purpose that people would not obey God. There's an imitating power. There's a people that look good and they sound good and they sound nice, but they don't have God's power. It's only when we surrender to God and obey him that God can do his own work. We just need to get out of the way and let him do his work instead of being in the way and keeping God from working. The last thing here is the discernment for, to turn away. The discernment to turn away. The idea of discernment is the idea of far seeing. The discernment tells people not where you're at, but where they're going. If you have two people that are lined up close to each other, but you have one person that's walking straight and another one that's just angled off just a little bit, as they take step by step by step, it's going to be more and more obvious that they were not going the same direction. Now, at the very beginning, they look like they were very close. They look like they were facing the same thing. Discernment is not seeing where people are at, but seeing where it's leading them, seeing where it's going. Discerning people see the results of a powerless form and see it doesn't bring us what we want. We should desire what God and God alone should do. The Bible talks about how do we get discernment? We get discernment by exercising discernment, by using discernment. When do we use this discernment to turn away? Well, discernment is the judgment that God gives to us. We judge, we evaluate a situation, a person and where they're at. We get discernment by practicing this discernment, but we have to exercise it. We have to work at it. Notice if you don't mind as we're in 2 Timothy, look with me in verse number 9. But they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be made manifest unto all men, as theirs also was. As is speaking about these people having a form of godliness, the Bible says that it's going to be made manifest. It's going to be made shown up. Now, a discerning person is going to be able to see it before it showed up. So if you have someone that denies God's power that's trying to do it themselves, Eventually, it's going to blow up and turn into a big mess. And everyone's going to be able to say, well, that didn't work. A discerning people person is going to be able to see it before it blows up. Does that make sense? They see the disaster before they hit. A discerning person knows that if the bridge is out, I don't drive over the bridge. A person lacking discernment is going to fall over the bridge. We want to stop before we shipwreck. We want to stop before we get in trouble. We want to stop before someone gets that way. A discerning person is going to be able to see that if I don't read my Bible, there's going to be horrible effects in my personal life and those around me. A non-discerning person is going to say, I can do it later. I'm going to do it later until finally it's manifest. Look, I wrecked my whole life. I've now pastored for such a long time now that I've had people that I warned years ago and they didn't listen. Oh, we've got it. And then they come up years later and say, well, my kids are a mess. They all hate me. They all fall in there. They don't want to do what's right. And I shake my head and said, if you would have obeyed me all those years ago, you wouldn't be in this mess. We tried to help. We tried to warn you. We tried to show discernment. We tried to say where it's going to. But you denied the power thereof. You didn't obey. And now it's made manifest that it didn't work. Now, that's the heartbreaking thing of the ministry. But that's what discerning people, you should be able to see what's going to happen before it happens. To see the mess that it's going to happen so we can avoid it. The discernment to turn away from that 
powerless form to turn away from that. When we try to find something to see if it's correct, does it line up with the Bible? Is it Bible-based? We should be able to have lives that said he, he lived the way that he believed. He believed in God and God manifested. It showed himself. Or he didn't live in God, believe in God. Eventually it's going to be showed up and everyone's going to be able to see he didn't live in God. You may try to put on a good face right now, may try to look, oh, look how great of a Christian you are, but it will show up eventually that you weren't. The idea of following after God is that it all has to be a faith work. What does that mean? That it has to be up to God. I do what God said. I obeyed him and watch him do his work. You know, it's amazing. There's principles in the Bible. Let's say that for raising kids. If you just do what the Bible says, you get the Bible results. It works. Don't try to test and say, I can do it on my own. How about just do what the Bible says? Because it does work. The idea of a church. You know, anyone can build a crowd, but only God can build a church. And if it's his work, then we have to do it his way. And if we do it his way, we get the results that God has. You see, we got to keep it simple. What is the Bible said? And if the Bible says it, that's what I'm going to do. You don't have to let yourself be a test case. I'd rather learn from other people's mistakes. There's enough people who didn't obey the Bible that wrecked their lives. I don't have to go follow suit. I need discernment. What does the Bible say there? Is God real? Then obey him like he's real. But God has a power that goes way beyond what we can do. He could give us an influence much further than we could ever have ourselves. As we're looking forward to this new year, we need to have a church that has God's power. And that only comes when we surrender to him, follow after him, and let him be God. When we desire for ourselves that I don't want what we could get accomplished. I'm tired of trying to get things done myself. I want what God and God alone can do. There are so many churches thereof that have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. We can't do anything about them. But for us, we want God's power. I hope we do. I hope it's something we want here. That in 10 years time when someone comes in and said, how did all this happen? We just look and say, it wasn't us. It was God. If you could explain away God's work, then it wasn't God that did it. We want what God and God alone can do. We're at the edge of the impossible. What does that mean? We're at the very edge of surrendering to God and watching God do amazing things that we could have never explained, hoped, imagined. But we have to let God be God. As we begin this brand new year, this is our first challenge. Are we going to allow God to be God? What does that mean? That we just surrender and say, God, whatever you tell me to do, I'm going to do it. You have power beyond myself. I can't do it myself. I can't manufacture it myself. I don't know better than you and I don't have your power. We have to humble ourselves and realize that we are very limited. Stop trying to do things yourself. Stop trying to raise your kids yourself. Stop trying to change people yourself. Stop trying to win the world yourself. Just surrender. Say, God, you have power and I don't. You're so great and I'm so small. I'm going to let you do your own work. And I'm just going to obey what you tell me to do. And as we obey God, God could do things 
that we couldn't even imagine because he is still a power working God. Where is the power of, of God? Where is the God of Elijah? Did God run out of gas? Did he get senile? Did he get too old? Does he need a nap? Is he on vacation? Does the God of the Old Testament still have that same power? Does the God of the New Testament still have that same power? Then what are we doing trying to do it ourselves? Why are we even wasting our time by showing up and putting on a face? Thinking we've got things handled. When we can be letting God do it. If you read the book of Acts. The same thing that happened in the book of Acts can happen here. That also includes the persecutions and whatever else that comes with it. But wouldn't it be amazing to see as we saw on Wednesday in Acts chapter 19, all of Asia hearing the gospel in just a matter of years? Wouldn't that matter? Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't it be amazing as in the book of Acts to see all those churches get started as missionaries are sent out of this church? Wouldn't it be amazing to see people get reached with the gospel and discipled and we have deacons that come up that turn into be preachers? Amen. Wouldn't it be amazing to see what God can do as we start training men and women for the ministry and to watch them give up the curious arts and burn them and half a million dollars worth of stuff get taken care of out of people's houses and cleaned up? Wouldn't it be amazing that as the Bible said that the word of God was multiplied, that mean more word of God was written. It meant more people had the word of God obeying in their lives. Is this something you want? Do we, are we tired of just showing up every Sunday and then going back home and showing up? Don't we want something more than this? Our God can give us much more than this. Let's go for the much more. Let's go for what God and God alone can do. Let's go for his power. The Bible speaks about in the promise of prayer in he, uh, Luke chapter 11. How much more shall he give the Holy Spirit to them that ask? How much more? That's what we should be wanting today. Is not, well, I've done the best I could and this is what we get accomplished. Let's want the much more. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.